0: Oh, yeah oh yeah
1: everything everything
0: everything gonna be all right this morning live from the delta media studios in upper lafayette here is producer dawson iserlo and your big bald beautiful host raymond parts the third better known as rp3
2: Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parse III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserloh. LSU. LSU. Getting the job done by getting another stellar performance from their bullpen. Things looked shaky early on. You could tell that Javion Coleman had not pitched in a very long time. He was rusty. Wake Forest took advantage. Jay Johnson said, okay. Throws Blake money out there. That was a brief appearance as well. But when he made his third decision on the bump, things got stabilized. Went to Griffin Herring, who pitched extremely well. And then when Griffin got in a bit of a trouble after pitching a long time out on the bump for him, they went to... Mr. Gidry, who, if you'll remember, his first pitch, his only pitch of the College World Series was a two-run home run way back on Saturday. Well, what does he do? Strikeout, strikeout. Boom. And then when he gets in a little trouble the very next inning, after getting the first two batters out quickly, He gets in a little trouble. What does Jay Johnson do? Bring in Cooper. And then Cooper closes the door. It wasn't perfect. But you know what? It got the job done. The Johnny Holstaff approach worked. And it worked in a big way. Guidry got to have some redemption in his second appearance. And who would have thought Cooper would be this guy that Jay would be like, hey, man, go handle this. And sure enough, that's how it been. As LSU beats Wake Forest, now they got one game to win to get to the championship round. And what a story that would be. Because the last time the Tigers played for a national championship in baseball, was 2017 that was the last time they played for a national title and that year they lost to florida by the way the gators pushed their ticket to the national championship series round yesterday setting up pretty nicely still work to be done as the two teams, Wake Forest and LSU, will face off yet again tonight. You can listen to that game right here on the game. Pre-game 30, first pitch 6 o'clock. D to the low. We get more College World Series baseball action to discuss on the air. We get to see if LSU can find a way to take down the top seed in the bracket for a second straight day. I'm here for all of it. I'm here for all of it. Yeah, and ideally, we're going to get the marquee pitching
3: matchup in all of college baseball without even question. We could get Paul Skeens against Rat Louder. Both coaches are not going to say as much, but both coaches expect the opposition to use the ace. It's funny there. It's kind of some gamesmanship going on. Um, But I hope we, I, I do hope we, and you know, the only unfortunate thing about the coaches using all this gamesmanship is that. We can't fully market it as, and not, I don't mean we, but like, you know, college baseball can't fully market it as such until an hour and a half before. But you could have Paul Skeens against Rhett Louder tonight, which is the best two pitchers in the country, going at it for a spot in the championship series. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that. And uh, I presume that's what's going to happen. I think in the end that will win out, that theory, that mentality. There's been some speculation that it wouldn't be Skeens. There's been some speculation that it wouldn't be Louder. Both um, on four days rest. Yeah, which is professional rest. Let's Correct. keep that in mind now. It's not what they're used to. You're used to six throughout the season because you pitch once a week every Friday uh, for both of these guys at least.
2: So, And if you decided not to go that route, whoever wins would have their ace ready to go in game one of the National Championship Series on Saturday night.
3: Yeah, so maybe the two coaches give a handshake and a wink and say, Let's both not throw our aces and see who comes out on top of this. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think uh in the end the the urgency of needing to win tonight to keep your season alive is gonna win out and I think both aces throw. Um, but we don't know. And we'll get a chance to uh we'll get a chance to ask Les Johns if he thinks Rhett is gonna throw, but I would imagine he's gonna say yes. And I I just think at this point in the year it's you know if the decision is being made, if there's maybe been a plan that we don't know about—that's that for either one of these pitchers all year about you know availability and certain days rest and a you know a plan to get them to the next level and and keep them safe from you know sometimes I think stuff that we don't even understand anyway about rest and things like that. <laughs> if that's been the plan, then sh- you know and look, if Wake Forest pitching lab numbers uh, came out and said Ret louder can't pitch today, then maybe he won't, but. All things considered, these guys are baseball coaches. They're competitors, and I think that competitive mentality, the guys themselves, Rhett and Paul, are going to want to throw, and it's going to be very tough. I think you'd have to rip the baseball out of their hands. So
2: They're, gonna I, I they're going to want to have the ball in their hands tonight. It doesn't matter about the four days of rest. That doesn't matter. And look, Skeens' last outing, he pitched – he threw, what, 122 pitches? So – I don't think that's going to matter to the players. To the skippers, I don't know. You would think that they would say, hey, these are our aces, winner take all, got to get into the championship round, and this is the best way to do so, let's go. That's what you would think would happen. But they got here because... Of what LSU's bullpen was able to do. Now, Jay Johnson goes with Coleman. We've been waiting to see him for a month. Didn't see him in the SEC tournament. Didn't see him in the regionals. Didn't see him in the Super Regionals. Jay mentioned, hey, if the regional and the Super Regional goes an extra game, we'll use Coleman, who started to come on late in the season after missing time. But he got in trouble right off the bat. And you could tell that he was rusty. You could could just tell. He got in trouble early, gave up the back-to-back walks in the first inning, but managed to get Justin Johnson to fly out to end the threat. And that's one of Wake's better hitters. So you're like, okay, he settled down. Inning one in the books, he'll find a way. But that didn't happen. Second inning comes, gives off a leadoff single to left field by Pierce Bennett. And then he he was able to get Danny Cornota to strike out. Which you're like, okay, mistake, bounce back. But then he walked the next two batters. Boom. And that ended Coleman's night. And LSU fan was a little worried about that. Because Coleman doesn't even go the two innings. And then they bring in Blake Money. And he gives up a single up the middle to Tommy Hawk. And that brought home two runs. And just like that, LSU was on its second pitcher for this Johnny Holstaff game in the second inning and was already down 2 nothing. It did not look great at that moment. But they battled back in the bottom of the frame, which was key. Beloso draws that one-out walk. Advanced the second on a wild pitch. Wake Forest is pitching, by the way. I don't know what was going on with the wild pitches yesterday. And then Beloso scores on a double down the right field line by Braden Bear. Then the Tigers took the lead in the bottom of the third. Cruz once again draws a leadoff walk. Wake Forest's pitchers had trouble finding the zone. They just did. And LSU's a far is a far more disciplined team when it comes to that. They will sit there and battle and draw walks all day long. Cruz draws the walk, advances the second, two batters later on a single by Morgan, and then Dugas has walked on four pitches to load the bases. And Seth Keener, who's a good pitcher, another wild pitch by him, That allowed Cruz to score. Morgan and Dugas advance to third and second. And then Beloso steps to the plate. And what a great story for him this year. A guy who wasn't even guaranteed playing time to come back for that extra year of eligibility. And he's been huge for them, just like Hayden Travinsky's been. Beloso stepped to the plate, took the third pitch he saw, lifted it over the right field wall for a three-run jack. So... LSU, Dawson, did a very nice job of taking advantage of Wake Forest's miscues. The wild pitches, they took advantage of. The fact that Wake Forest's pitchers, in particular Keener, couldn't find the zone. They took advantage of that. A great lineup like LSU. They took advantage of the miscues that Wake Forest gave them. Seized control of this game and never looked back.
3: Yeah, Seth Keener... Is uh, one of Wake's best pitchers, a guy who walked 16 guys the entire season, walked yep. four last night. So 25% of his entire season total he matches. Um, and that's a guy who had made nine starts or made eight starts in 23 appearances, had thrown over 70 innings. So not a guy who usually has command issues. And he was incredibly sharp in the first inning. And then it just looked like he didn't have it. And I was honestly surprised they stuck with him that long. I felt like it was uh, pretty was clear he long. didn't have it um and in games like this you don't have time for guys to figure it out you know if this is a game in the middle of the season then you try and take your time especially you know you see some major leagues all the time you know hunter brown the other night gives up a couple you know not a couple gives up four or five runs early against the mets but you know what it's a monday and they've got two more games left in the series and they play 162 so dusty said all right hunter i need you to go get me to the fifth inning anyway in these types of games i was just surprised i just thought and you, as, you, as it turns out, Sean Sullivan comes in and throws five innings of shutout ball, and you wonder, man, should they have gone to him earlier? Uh, but Beloso with the big shot, thats it's going to be remembered for a long time. I mean, that was a. And, and the ball, now the ball, the, the wind finally shifted a little bit. Yep. and started to blow out to right, and maybe that helped Beloso there. That ball was mashed. It might have gotten out anyway, but kind of interesting to see. Again, Wakes, look, Wakes, three, four, five hitters. This is a conversation we'll have, and I'm sure we'll ask. Uh, Less about it when he comes on to talk about Wake Forest. Two lesses on the show, by the way. We haven't even got that. Oh, we'll that's a flex. That but Nick Kurtz, Brock Wilkin, and Justin Johnson are three of the best hitters in the country. Guys who hit over 350. Uh, for two of them. Johnson over 320, And they have been awful in the entire College World Series. And last night they combined to go 0 for 12. And a lot of them were up in big situations. And they never even... The funny thing, too, it's not like they've been hitting deep fly balls to center where you go, man, you know, they're used to that ballpark where it carries out. They haven't done anything. They haven't even made solid contact for the most part. Wake's not going to win tonight without those guys. And
2: all the pressure, by the way, is now on the side of the team from Winston-Salem. All the pressure. And, you know, Jay had a quick hook on his guys. And when they didn't have their stuff, he pulled them. And Herring came in and did a nice job. Right? He got out of the jam there in the fifth inning after he gave off that leadoff single to Hawk. He got Johnson to strike out swinging. And, but then he gave up a leadoff single in the sixth, but then got himself three quick outs. So Jay is monitoring. He's going, okay. Herring gets out, of, gets out of trouble. But then he doesn't get out of trouble in the seventh. He just doesn't. So what does Jay do? Okay. Got runners on the corners. You're coming out. I'm bringing in Gidry. And Goodry strikes out the next two batters. That's what he did. And he got Wilkin and Johnson to both strike out swinging. So every step LSU made worked, with the exception of Coleman not looking good early on. But they were able to bounce back from that, come back from that deficit, that early deficit. And then pulled out the win. And Wake Forest had opportunities. They had 12 runners left on base, by the way. 12. 12. It's a funny, funny game, isn't it? I Baseball, mean, what do we say all the time? Baseball's the great equalizer. The pitching
3: all year, and, and for to be what it was, it's just so ironically funny that, that the way this World Series has played out for LSU has done what it has. But... Yeah, the funny thing about this game is Wake gets seven hits and is issued. LSU actually walked six guys as well. Now, theirs were more strategically placed and scattered out throughout the uh, ballgame a little bit. But also, they got a couple of big outs. There was some, look, there was a missile hit the third base and it went right to Tommy White. If that ball gets down the left field line, who knows what we're talking about right now? Because that could have changed the game. um, And that was in the eighth inning, but... Both teams have six walks offensively. Wake has seven hits, LSU has six. So Wake has more base runners in this game. It's just a matter of Cade Beloso hit a three-run home run at the right time, and that's the difference in the game. I mean, that's the three runs. You lose by three. Uh, if you're Wake, you win by three if you're LSU. It's just it's a fine line. Sometimes it's one timely hit. It could be more of the same tonight. Um, we'll see. I think it's it's just fascinating to me how the pitching and and, you know, I I will give my. What did I? We said it for a couple. I said it for a couple months. Like it just matters how they pitch in two weeks. You don't even really need it for regionals. It's just how they pitch in supers in Omaha. That's gonna be what determines how far this team goes. And here we are.
2: And they're one win away from the national championship series. Florida's already punched their ticket by edging TCU yesterday, three to two. Gators wait. The number two overall seed, they wait. Are they going to be facing LSU or are they going to be facing Wake Forest? Once again, LSU Wake Forest. Winner advances on to the championship series this weekend. Pre-game, 30, 6 o'clock. Chris Blair on the call. You can listen to it live right here on the game. We got to take a timeout. Well, more on this game. We'll hear from Jay Johnson and Griffin Herring and Cade Beloso. That's all next right here on the game.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
4: Trying to you know, hit a fly ball on center field, uh, stay out of the double play. Uh, once that pass ball, you know, happened, kind of changed my mindset a little bit. But uh, when you have a good, as you know, good as a coach as Coach Jay, you know, especially with hitting, uh, he's telling you to get the ball your thigh. You better listen. Uh, so, got to change up in my thigh and you know, put a good swing on it, and uh, just it went over the fence.
2: It's Kate Beloso talking about his key home run blast in this ball game, and what a story for him this year. Once again, we, we touched on we've talked about it some throughout the season. He wasn't guaranteed a playing time. Yeah, I mean, it appeared that Beloso's time at LSU had come to an end. Injuries had kind of derailed his promising start, Banged up and all really not all that effective last year for Jay Johnson's team. But he found something and he's taken advantage of the opportunities that they've given him particularly to play DH, comes up huge. Came up huge, and he's never going to forget that now, that he hit a home run in the College World Series. I mean, it's one of those great moments. And this team is now kind of on a roll, right? They open up the College World Series, beating Tennessee. On Monday night, they lose a game they probably should have won. Some Tiger fans believe. I just believed Wake Forest was the better team that night on Monday. They just made the better plays. But if you're LSU, you probably felt we let that one get away from us. And then it was elimination game against Tennessee on Tuesday. And they win that one. And send the Vols home packing. And then it was an elimination game last night for LSU. Not for Wake, but for LSU. And they beat Wake Forest. And now they have a chance in yet another elimination game to win and move on to the championship series. And Jay Johnson talked about how his team, how the guys that put on the purple and gold are just so loose, even when they're facing elimination.
4: Yeah, I think, um,
3: you know, in the first meeting of the year, every year, one thing I tell them is 365 days a year, we're going to work on mindset. We expect to be here. We expect to be playing uh, important baseball in June. And we play every game like we're playing important baseball in June. Like the the Tuesday on March 22nd against McNeese is a playoff game to us. And the thought process behind that is if you do that all year long, then you can just stay in character when you get to the postseason. And that's something that I adopted early on in my career. And I think it's
2: really benefited us in tournament play. So they have a tournament mindset, Dawson, way before they even get to a tournament format. And if you can get the guys to buy into that, then here you are, right? Because it's one thing to have the skipper say it. Well, we got to tournament. you know, we're going to have that mindset against McNeese in a midweek game. It's another thing to have the guys buy into it. But that's exactly what's happened here.
3: Yeah, and I think another thing to, to keep in mind is that facing elimination changes some teams. I really think it does, and you saw them get a chance to do it against Tennessee in the first place, and, you know, pressure's funny, too, in baseball, and specifically in baseball because it's a sport that the moment's going to find you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't think Wake played particularly tight. Offensively, you know, they are really struggling right now. Now, the funny thing is at the top and the bottom – their, their tone setters, their guys who get on base form have done that. Tommy Hawk's been great at the top of the order. Pierce Bennett's been solid. Bennett Lee's had a good series. Um, but their middle of the lineup, the guys that you count on, have just not delivered at all. And I mentioned that in the first segment, and it's just it's just kind of stunning to me that they've been no-shows in these moments, and you just feel like tonight... You might have lost your moment if you're awake because you got, you know, there's a big right hander in the LSU bullpen uh, that's going to be throwing tonight. And um, I don't know if even if those guys, you know, flip the mindset, that doesn't mean you could turn around 103, which is what this guy's going to be throwing in the sixth inning. And of course, I'm referring to Paul Skeens. By the way, uh, I thought it's worth mentioning kind of when asked about, uh, I guess, Paul Skeens and everything. Leah Van tweeted out that he said, quote, we'll talk to him tonight, see how he feels. He's gonna feel fine. I promise. <laughs> no matter <laughs> if he is or not, he's yeah. gonna tell you he's feeling fine. And if that's what if it if it ends up being up to Paul Skeens, I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure that he'll be uh, on the mound come six o'clock.
2: Yes. And he's gonna pitch well. Now, does that mean that he's gonna be able to go out there and pitch eight innings? Maybe. But if you're Jay Johnson now, and this began with the SEC tournament through to this point. The bullpen has pitched very well from the SEC tournament on. Now, more some guys are getting more love than others during this run. Guidry, Cooper, you know, we know who Jay trusts, right? We've talked a lot about that. Christian Little is on the back of a milk carton right now, and probably rightfully so because the way he pitched all season but there's guys that they can count on and both Griffin Herring and Riley Cooper pitched well last night in relief helping them get the win and they were asked point blank afterwards what has gotten the bullpen to step up like they have in the last month
1: I think everybody's just playing for each other I mean um nobody wants to see that last game I I know for a fact nobody on this staff nobody uh in the dugout and we're all just playing for each other doing everything we can and um you know the bullpen was always talented, so I'll, none of us were ever worried about it. Riley? Oh, yeah, we really we just want to win, and so we're just doing our part, and
2: because uh, we always know the hitters got our back, so we just thought we should, you know, get even with them and win some games. They have, and they've found their kind of niche, right? Each guy, Cooper and Guidry, have figured out what their role is here. Uh, obviously, they used Ackenhausen as a starter the other day. and He was magnificent, had never pitched that many innings all season and hadn't even made a start. He was the first LSU pitcher ever, by the way, to make his first start at the College World Series. That's a pretty good distinction to have. And they figured out a way. Jay figured out who he could trust and who was the the best guys out of the pin, And that's who he's utilized. Boom. And now here they are, one went away from making it to the championship round. Poll question of the day. Since LSU has decided to extend its stay in lovely Omaha, the home of delicious steak, by the way, we asked you, in honor of the Men's College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska, what's your favorite cut of steak? Is it a filet? Is it a ribeye, is it a T-bone, or is it other? Right now, 72% of you overwhelmingly are saying ribeye, which is my vote. 28% say fi- uh, filet. Zero votes yet for a T-bone. No votes for other. Got some early comments as well. John Paul, Cajun Daddy, says, The ribeye steak is the best, juiciest, most tender cut there is. Best way to cook it on the pellet grill medium and an amber ale in a frosted mug to drink john paul also said that's my dear sports family is a great meal for any day i agree with john paul on that and we appreciate his comment darren the number one raging cajun fan of rp3 and company decided to go wildly efficient this morning ribeye that's it that's the entire comment just ribeye i appreciate that and jpk the od says there's only one right answer, cowboy ribeye, rare to medium rare, knock its horns off, wipe its butt, and pass it by the fire on its way to my plate. Those well-done folks, a.k.a. Falcon fans, need not comment as they have no taste. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. A day late due to me not arriving back in enough time to do the show yesterday. And make sure to leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout. Lots and lots of chatter in the last, what, two weeks about what the Pels are going to do. NBA draft is tonight. We know the big fellow who can make a baseball disappear in his hand from France will be the number one overall pick by the San Antonio Spurs. But lots of chatter. And when I say chatter, I mean lots of misinformation, right? Lots of rumor, lots of agents and teams leaking out information that is completely false to create narratives, to force teams to make trades and do ridiculous things. There's a lot of gamesmanship going on leading up to the draft, just like it is in the NFL. But the Pels were rumored, right? Shams reported that, you know, they were looking to move up to possibly in the top three. What would it take to get into the top three? Because they sit at number 14 tonight. Would they uh, trade one of their all-star players, whether that was B.I. or Zion? And then since then, Zion's had what I would call some unfortunate exchanges and information leaked on social media. I don't believe the Pels are going to make a move. I don't believe that David Griffin is going to trade the face of the franchise, even with the nonsense that's going on off the court in his personal life that's caused a big distraction. I don't think that's happening. Nor do I think they're going to trade Brandon Ingram. I don't believe that. I could be wrong. They could make some blockbuster deal tonight where they, you know, trade Zion or trade B.I. to Portland and get Damian Lillard back and picks. I don't know. You never can tell what's going to happen. But I anticipate that it may be kind of a boring night for the Pels. That their two all-stars stay put. And that maybe they trade up a few spots from 14 up and go get themselves a player. But I don't see big moves being made tonight by David Griffin and the Pelicans. But I could be wrong because they've had a busy offseason with changing up the support staff, changing up the medical staff, By the way, one of the support staff people was someone very close to Zion and Teresa Weatherspoon, the former Louisiana Tech legend, basketball legend, they got rid of her. So they've made some moves where they're shaking things up, Dawson, a little bit with the support staff and with the medical staff. Could we see the roster shook up a little bit? I don't think so. Maybe Valachunas gets moved. Maybe that happens tonight but I don't see Zion or B.I. going, and I don't see them getting in the top three.
3: No, and I've spent the past couple days filling in for you, getting Pelican's guess and trying to sparse through what what the noise is and what's real here. I don't know if they have a great idea either, though. Um, And we spoke with both Ali Cassell and Christian Clark in the past couple days. I think their general idea, though, is mostly what you're saying. Um, If they had to guess, it would be no. The feeling would be no. But it's definitely possible, and they've made calls. And, you know, I think every team makes calls. That's not, like, cause for concern or newsworthy things. But I think they've been really evaluating what it would look like. And, and and you know, I, I also wonder if this offseason was an exercise in preparing themselves if the next season goes the way last season went. And mm. at least taking a look around and seeing what the market for the player is. Now, it won't be the same, obviously, after another year, especially if he has another – bad year as far as injuries and things like that. But I wonder if it was a way for them to evaluate the situation in the league, the current scenario, how other teams feel about him, what they could potentially get back for him, and kind of think about life after Zion or life after Brandon Ingram if this year doesn't go well. But I think at the end of the day, they take a deep breath, sit back and go, let's run it back with these guys one more time. Let's maybe add a piece in that, you know, ten to fourteen range they're Currently picking 14, I think they can move up a handful of spots if they wanted to based on some of the extra draft capital they have from a couple of those older trades they made. Um, and, and see where you're at. I think that's that's where it is. Maybe add some shooting. Grady Dick's a player I've started to like a little bit more from Kansas. And, um, you know, there's, there's other options. There's tons of different guys in that range that can, you know, potentially add something for you. But overall, I think they're probably going to end up standing put. Um, I just don't see them putting together the pieces to make a big blockbuster deal.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, they don't have the assets – well, let me correct myself. They do have assets. They don't have the assets they're willing to give up to make a big deal, right? If they're not wanting to give up BI or Zion – and we've heard the rumor mill for the last two weeks, Zion to Portland or BI to Charlotte, right? We've heard both of that, and we've heard – but here's a fundamental problem with both of those scenarios – Let's start with Portland first and foremost. From everything I can read, Damian Lillard wants to stay. So if you still have a commitment from a guy who's an all-star, very good at times, great player, that it says, you know what? I'm going to stay. Let's build this around. Then if you're Portland, you feel like you've got a window to kind of turn this around. So, why would you trade out of where you're at in the draft? Well, t- to get
3: Zion, it would make sense. The problem with Portland, I think now is yeah, if they're going to build around Lillard and so Lillard is not even, uh, you know, I don't even think he's on the table in any of those negotiations to get back. And so for the Pelicans, the number th- I think Zion first of all is worth more than the number 3 pick as of, as it stands with still the myst- the mystique around what he could be. I don't know if Portland has a package that they can put together to you that makes enough sense to even go up to that spot anyway, because you would need more than just the number three pick. And obviously if Lillard's not a part of it, I don't know if that makes sense yeah. anyway. And Charlotte's kind of the same, similar situation. Now maybe you like some of their younger players more and maybe B.I. doesn't command quite as much because he's a little older and he's,
2: you know, but the owner of the team is selling the well, team. Well, there's a lot of questions in Charlotte, right? right? Now. So yeah. So that's the other part of this is that the owner is selling the team. So, I I don't know. Portland does intrigue me on what they're going to do. If I think the Pelicans are going to make a move tonight, and obviously we'll talk more about this with Les East when he joins us at 8 o'clock today, it'd be probably move on from Valachunas and maybe package him in some of those future second-round picks that you got from Milwaukee or from the Lakers and and use that to do something, right? Maybe go get you another player or maybe use Valachunas in the 14th pick to trade up to, like, eight. Something like that. I could see that kind of move. But I just don't envision a blockbuster night for the Pelicans. I just don't. I really don't. And I agree with you, too. I think they've done their due diligence and they've made those phone calls... Because they want to gauge what the interest would be, say, a year from now on Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson. Or let's say things go terribly wrong and the season is already lost by the All-Star break or by the trade deadline. Like, it's the worst-case scenario, the nuclear option scenario. Then maybe you can move on from guys at the trade deadline next year. But I think they're doing their due diligence going, okay, what is the – we like these two guys. They're all-stars for us. What do other teams think about them? And what are other teams maybe willing to give up for them? That's just doing your homework moving forward. But I think, Pelicans fan, I could be wrong. I think it's going to be a ho-hum draft night for the Pels, and they may not even be able to trade up from 14. And they may trade Valachunas for like a second-rounder. Because they don't have enough of those. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and company, Houston Astros. Oh, hey, winner, winner again. Thank you, Houston Astros. Sincerely, this Atlanta Braves fan, for beating the Mets a second straight day. That fills my heart up with joy. We'll talk about it next, right here on the game.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language.
2: You look at all the guys that they got Clinton Anukuraru? oof, And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Osawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced
0: last night.
5: <laughs> me fail English? That's impossible.
0: Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
2: I was unable to watch my team play yesterday because the game was postponed between the Bravos and the Phillies. But I sure did take great pleasure in the Houston Astros getting on track, winning their second game in a row against those New York Metropolitans. Ten to eight. That's a good old fashioned slug fest. Bregman has himself three hits as the Astros are able to outlast the Mets ten to eight to take the three game series, two games to one. Question. You're an Astro fan, yes? We've established this D to the low. I believe Diaz should probably get more at-bats. Just going to throw that out there.
3: Well, he's going to be the DH for the foreseeable future. But yeah, I I think um, I would appreciate not having an automatic out. I think it's a cool thing. I know Dusty's old school, and he's kind of honoring the fact that pitchers don't hit anymore by (laughs) placing a guy who hits worse than some pitchers in the lineup every night. Um, but no and, and again, like all jokes aside, I understand everything Maldonado does defensively. I get it. I get I, it. I too, understand. But... but like when you're going through a stretch that you're going through right now and you can't score, I just struggle to find the you know, logic behind continuing to roll him out there when you know you just need a spark. And you gotta younger, have the bat. You gotta have the bat. I'm well, sorry. Well, I mean, and they proved that you don't, which is almost even more impressive that they won the World Series with a guy. Now Again, in the postseason, he tends to run into a couple, and I don't know why and how it is because he hits 155 all year, and then he hits a couple of postseason homers here and there randomly. But either way, no, Yainer Diaz looks like potentially the future at that spot. Now we'll see defensively, and but I mean I think there's been some really encouraging signs defensively from him as well. For now, he's going to DH, and uh, we'll have to live with that when Jordan and those guys get back in the mix. Even Brantley, you know, have to figure some stuff out, and we'll see what they do at that point.
2: Yeah, I've always been a big guy of uh, a big fan of having guys in my lineup that can hit. That's just that's just me, though. That's just that's just me. Diaz and Chaz McCormick both hit two run home runs in this ballgame, which was huge. Astros fell behind a little bit early. Javier was not great. He was okay. But they were able to get production at the plate. Now they also gave up dingers to, you know, Pete Alonzo, who hit his 23, 23rd home run of the season. And the Mets dropped a second straight game after winning the series opener 11-1. to How is the Piper involved in this series? Can you explain that to me? I've no, been gone because, from a couple of days. Right,
3: because I don't understand things <laughs> that are, aren't true, but... Uh, I'll actually go a step further. Javier was pretty bad. Five walks in this game alone uh, to go along with the four hits he gave up. That's a career high, by the way, five walks. Yeah, a little uncharacteristic there. And you always wonder, I mean, you know, let's just hope there's no injury involved in it. It didn't seem like we didn't see or hear anything, but you just always kind of think about when a guy's that uncharacteristically bad, just want to make sure everything's all good there because he's been really, really good all year.
2: And Phil Maton struck out three right? In an inning and a third, and your boy Ryan Presley, a perfect ninth inning for his 14th well, save. Back-to-back saves for him the last two nights. Ooh. Bregman's hitting, Ryan Presley's closing out games. What's happening?
3: Well, we'll see when they head to Chavez Ravine for a three-game set with the Dodgers, which I think is really fascinating. Both teams that we expect always to be contenders, and of course, there's a bit of rivalry there. They played in they played in a series back in 2017. It was towards the end of the year. Uh, Astros got the best of them in that one, but The interesting thing is both teams are a little, you know, kind of underachieving to where Uh, we expected them to be, and both teams may be figuring it out right now. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Should be a fun weekend series. They'll have an off day today, get back in action with that
2: three-game set starting tomorrow. J.P. France on the mound. Another Friday night start for him. we got to take a timeout. Hour number one is in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game.
0: Everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: Oh, welcome back to RP3 and company on this tremendous Thursday morning. We're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, FCO Development this is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Our one was good. Set the right tone. Recap LSU Wake Force. Tigers take down the Demon Deacons. Get great performances from the bullpen. And a timely home run blast by Cade Belosa. They now will face off again today. Elimination game for both teams. Winner goes on to the National Championship Series against Florida this weekend. Loser Goes home. You can listen to it live right here on the game. Pre-game, 5.30, first pitch with Chris Blair on the call, 6 o'clock, right here on the game. We talked about that. We also talked about tonight's NBA lottery. Not NBA lottery. NBA draft. What will the Pelicans do? Well, they sit at 14. I don't see them making any type of crazy big moves up. I don't see them trading Zion. I don't see them trading B.I.,
3: I, I forgot to mention something in the first, uh, well, not the first segment, the last segment. I wanted to go ahead and be uh, fair to Martin Maldonado. He laid down a really nice squeeze bunt last night. I was listening to the call on the game. Uh, I was driving at the time, and Steve Sparks, Robert Ford had it, and they actually called for the squeeze, and then they got it. They said, man, maybe, maybe a squeeze here, and he laid down a nice bunt. So I want to go ahead and give credit there. That was a nice, oh, that's I'll playing playing baseball, too. Again, you don't see a ton of that in the major leagues these days. I thought it was great. Uh, when you're hitting 154, you know, the squeeze should be in play. When you have a runner on third, less than two outs. You also didn't see down. great
2: bunting in the LSU Wake Forest game either. Um, yeah, we
3: can get into that at some point, I'm sure. I think it's uh, – it's and, and I think Jay Johnson's pushed almost every single correct button, but I think not doing something all year and then expecting it to just happen in the World Series is kind of tough to get, to get by with. You know what I mean?
2: Now, we talked College World Series. We talked NBA draft tonight. We also touched on the Astros taking down the Mets, winning their back-to-back game, back-to-back games for them. But I, I want to pause that for a second because we look—we got some great stuff coming up this hour for you. We're going to talk about the what appears to be a blockbuster three-team trade in the NBA on the eve. That keeps going back and forth on. There's medical issues, and yeah. it's, this is this is how it works in the NBA. Also, we'll, we'll get to Chris Middleton declining his forty million dollar option. He's going to be a free agent. Draymond Green declined his option yesterday as well. So some interesting moves being made prior to the draft. And we'll get into that this hour. We'll also, on tap for this hour, talk to Lee Allen Zeno, the famed musician, Zydeco musician, about a great event that's being held this coming weekend. So that's what we got on tap for you this, this hour. That said... I'm worried about my guy here, d My man is fired up. You know what made him fired up? The Twitter. We're just having a nice conversation. It's a tremendous Thursday morning. I'm back in the studios. He doesn't have to do it all by himself. I mean, usually he has to do it by himself because I'm a mess. But I'm physically here, which is nice. We're having a good show. And all of a sudden, my man got fired up. I'm going to give you the opportunity here, premium real estate and radio, D to the low, my friend, to go ahead and grab that microphone and tell all the people out there on Twitter that are making you angry about what they're saying in regards to Omaha, Nebraska, and go tell them to kick rocks. The stage is yours.
3: It's it's fine. It's it's just... I need to get off Twitter more than I. I really need to stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, I. I told. I've told you that. I make up. You know, like when I tweet, that's fine, and that's that's where I should probably leave it. It's great for news, though. I do need to make sure. It's about who you know. Making sure your your timeline is correct. You know, like there it is. You follow and everything that. Now the thing now though is that with the suggestions and stuff like that, you know, you're getting stuff that's not that you follow. It's just getting put into your feed because it's you know stuff that's similar to stuff you're interested in. So. I just saw a lot of comments yesterday and in the past couple of days about Omaha and it being too pitcher-friendly and it not being a you know good place for the College World Series. And I just have a real problem with it because I think baseball is a game we've gotten so far away from true baseball where, again, and, and Foot correctly talks about you know playing baseball, moving runners. Uh, when a runner's on third and less than two outs, finding a way to get that runner home. Um, not worrying every single at-bat about launch angle and giving your best possible swing on trying to hit a two-run homer. And I think Omaha's a great place. It, it's, it changes the way teams have to play because, and, you know, look, Wake Forest is guilty of this, their park. Now, it's not their fault that their park is how it is, but they use it to their advantage, and they hit a ton of home runs all year, and that's fine. But now we're seeing, and I did mention, I don't know if it matters because the 3-4 hitters for them, the guys who have hit 30-plus homers this year, aren't doing anything. It's not like they're making solid contact and flying out. Correct. But the deep fly ball that TCU hit to the warning track, I get it was unfortunate. That ball would have been a home run probably anywhere else. But I think a bigger ballpark like this, where a home run is a reward for an exceptionally well-hit ball and not a necessity when any ball gets put in the air with any sort of exit velocity and the correct launch angle, uh, I think is a better sport and I think is a better form of the game. Um, I understand, like, some games are incredibly offensive because guys are putting balls in play and creating offense with base hits and walks and things like that. I don't think it has to be a home run derby. And so I think the way that the game plays in Omaha is actually refreshing, and the fact that teams, I think it's, it's funny, too, that teams that aren't used to that style of play. Now, I haven't heard the teams themselves complaining about it, right? This is mostly external stuff, but... Uh, I just think it's fantastic, and I don't know why we have to have, you know, 15 to 12 games where each team. Again, the, the bigger thing, I don't even have a problem with the offense. I love offense, game, offensive games. The thing I have a problem with is when we set up ballparks and, you know, bats and balls to where high fly balls that are hit with a launch angle get out of the park, when in reality they should be outs. Because a home run, in my opinion, like Cade Beloso's ball last night was a home run, it was absolutely demolished, crushed to right field, and it was gone. I think that should be a home run. When you hit a high fly ball to left field that's got a little carry and the wind takes it and carries it out and it goes 325 feet over a 324-foot wall, I don't think those should be home runs. And I like that Charles Schwab field in Omaha thinks that way.
2: You feel better now? No, it's fine.
0: <laughs> it's fine. Look,
2: look, I'm old enough to remember when guys were striving to to try to hit at least 300, right? That was important. Going up to bat and battling and moving runners was what you were supposed to do. But you always had a nice balance. You had your lineup set where you had guys get on and they create opportunities for your three, four, five hitters. And those three, four, five hitters didn't necessarily have to hit 50 home runs in a season, Dawson. That maybe hit 25, 28, 30, 32. And that was considered your power hitter. And a lot of times, guys that were good power hitters also hit for average. So, I grew up watching George Brett, Wade Boggs, Robin Yount, Tony Gwynn. These are guys that hit for average. These are guys that prided themselves on not striking out. But baseball has evolved or devolved, however you want to look at it, where the only thing that matters now is hitting home runs. That's it. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters anymore. It just doesn't. It matters to me. But the game itself has changed. And I don't think necessarily for the better either. Right? Right? We have a bunch of guys that take the Adam Dunn approach. I'm going to strike out 100-plus times a year, but I'm going to hit 35 home runs, so it's okay.
3: Well, and I mean, I'm okay because I think in the end of the day, these team, the, the Major League teams in the Major League game kind of figures itself out because of the amount of money that's involved in it, and the guys, they're still going to try and win games. But I also seen a lot of people discounting what Luis Arias is doing right now uh, because he's just hitting singles, and I just – don't know if people understand that it's that much more difficult to do what he's doing in today's Correct. day and age and it's impressive and when guys are throwing a 100 and he's turning around the other way for base hits like also I think I think we've devalued the single a little bit too much and I would agree to that I as well. understand and there was this time frame where people thought of a walk as as good of a single and I do I get that in the general scheme of things over a long course of a season walks balance out and are very valuable to you. But singles move base runners more than one base at times, you know, and they bring runners home from second. They bring mm-hmm. runners from first to third. And, like, Luis Arias having an on-base percentage of almost 500 and a batting average of around 400 is incredibly more impressive to me than a guy who hits 250 but his OBP is 360 because he walks a lot. Like, that's not the same thing. Mm, that's and correct. I've even heard, you know, and I heard uh, on a recent show that I was listening to, the, the the dismissal of him completely as an MVP candidate because of, you know, his lack of power numbers. And I'm just, I'm not saying he's the MVP, but what he's doing is unbelievably well, impressive.
2: Well, the saying, the saying used to be, you know, chicks dig the long ball, right? And the home run chase brought people back with McGuire and Sosa, brought a lot of people back to baseball. But, you know, you, you mentioned something early on that made me laugh in your little rant launch angle, exit velocity. You know, I spent decades playing and watching baseball and never heard those terms ever, ever. And the game was just fine, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, well, and look, it was that—that's that, 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 part of it. It's just like, well, you know, he does this. Yeah, he'll he'll strike out three times in game, but when he does get the barrel on the ball, he's launched. And it's just like, the the guy strikes out a ton. He doesn't create anything. Yeah. He's batting two thirty five and he's got 28 home runs. Ooh. Like, I have a different standard because I'm older, and I remember when, you know, it was encouraged for you not to – you wanted to be more like Tony Gwynn. Well, and,
3: you know, I didn't mean to get this deep and philosophical about the game of baseball. We'll have plenty of time in July, I'm sure, to talk about <laughs> things like this. But – I think the fact that what happened there is you create you had a game and I think for a long time it was pretty well balanced about the number of home runs that were able to be hit. Again, it was a reward. You had to hit a ball really well. And then what happened is bat technology got a lot better, even with the wooden bats. The ball changed, the players got way bigger, faster and stronger, and the ballpark stayed the same size. And I think all those things part combine of Now, again, uh, even in the Major League game, a lot of times in the Major League game, guys hit balls decently well, not great, not well hit balls, and they get out the park and we reward that and then that trickles down as it always does to the college level, to the high school level and to little league. And that's how it's now played is you need to try and, you know, I, and I understand why it was happening in the majors because runs home runs are certainties,
2: you know, singles require more singles, but I'm also old school enough. Like for me, I appreciate, you know, cause I spent some time walking around the park and everything like that. Cause I always do that. Right. Anytime I go to a park, I do that. And Charles Schwab field is big. Right, It is a pitcher's park. But I like that. I like the fact that it's not easy for teams to go out there and score runs. Like I have no problem with the fact that no team has scored more than six runs in this College World Series. I have no problem with that. First of all, to me, six runs is a lot. (laughs) First of all, six runs seems like a lot of runs to me. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it coming down to who's smarter on the base paths, who can lay down a bunt, who can have the, the, the guys that can come out and pitch themselves out of jams? I like that. I actually agree with you. I was just surprised that you were that fired up about it between the 6 and the 7 o'clock hours, so well, I wanted you to you know, have the opportunity I choose, to. I don't choose when I get free. It just happens, right? But, it does. You just looked at me. We're having a nice conversation. Yeah, and the and funny I, just thing is, I didn't even
3: see anything this morning. It's just stuff I remembered and looking just, at last night because it was after the TCU game. It was between the start of the, you know, the end your of the TCU game. Your face changed.
2: Your expression on your face changed, and I was like, well, what's going on with Dawson? When yeah, it was,
3: and, no, it's unfortunate. But <laughs> I, the last thing I'll say is this, right? I think the funny thing about the ballpark specifically with Charles Schwab Field and like the, you know, the lack of offense or whatever you want to call it. And I get it, yeah. When the home run balls in play, it's easier to score some runs because like I mentioned, those are certainties and, you know, it only takes one home run to score a run. It takes three singles sometimes. But the whole idea that you can't score in that ballpark, do they know that the bigger field means there's plenty more real estate in the outfield to drop down
2: base hits and you put singles? Get- and, and those gaps are gap, so much I mean, b- uh, bigger, so but we've, I think we, we've a, seen
3: it in the College World Series where singles have scored people. It's an, I think it's an approach where guys are so used, again, teams, and I don't, Wake is an example because they utilize it maybe better than everyone else in their own ballpark with the runs, but it's, it's used all over the country, teams that have hitter-friendly parks. I think most college parks are hitter-friendly. Teague Moore Field and Russo Park is actually an exception, right, but the fact that those teams are used to doing that and their approaches i've seen so many lazy flyouts and then not even lazy like well hit balls but are but end up being flyouts to left to right to center and in my opinion those should always be flyouts but usually they're not and i think teams struggle to make an adjustment and i don't blame them you play 60 games where if you hit a ball squared up with a good launch angle it's gone and then you get to omaha and it's not but i think that's how it should be Wind we, also you know. plays a factor in that, by the way. The wind typically, it, it varies because last night it started blowing out to right. And that's when and know, it's blowed in a lot but during been, this College World Series. Especially right? after the first weekend, there was kind of, I don't know, I don't know about weather patterns in Omaha, things ahead of my pay grade there, but you a know, shift came in and it started blowing in, and now it's starting to blow back out to right, so maybe tonight will be more offensive, but anyway.
2: Ralph has a comment about our discussion. He says, baseball has become a lot like golf. The home run is the equivalent of bombing it off the tee with little regard for hitting fairways. And that would be your comparison to hitting singles. And I would be perfectly
3: okay with the ball rollback thing they've talked about in the PGA Tour because, again, these courses weren't designed with the idea of guys driving the ball 340 yards. The tech ne- And the other thing about golf that bothers me is certainly swing speeds have been improved, but also it's so much about the drivers. And I just don't think the improved technology of the golf clubs and the golf ball should fundamentally change a game that much. But anyway, we've gone on
2: too long. <laughs> yes, we have. Don't forget to vote on our foodie poll question of the week, which is on Thursday this week. In honor of the Men's College World Series in Omaha, what's your favorite cut of steak? 68% of you say ribeye. 24% say filet. 8% say other. Ralph says, If I'm at a nice steakhouse, filet. But I'm scared to screw them up on the grill at that price. So go-to is bone-in ribeye, medium rare with a loaded baked potato, grilled asparagus, and fresh rolls. My man's got the whole menu planned out. Hart says, I know the mantra is no free ads and radio y'all live by. With that being said, there's a local restaurant that has a ribeye smothered in a etouffee that is pretty hard competition. I, I do believe that establishment is located north along I-49. I do believe if that's where Hart is talking about. It's a certain spot that is north of us, north of Opelousas. If I believe that's where he's talking about. B-Rat says, I prefer a New York strip because it has very little fat and is easy to cut, baked potato, and baked beans, or sausage on the side, depending on where I'm eating. See, the people love love the foodie poll question. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. Coming up next here on RP3 and Company, a great event is coming up this Sunday, and the famed Zydeco Basis and Grammy Award winner Lee Alanzino will join us to talk about that and talk about his career. That's next right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and... Soccer? Isn't
5: this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we
0: go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Welcome back to this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. D'Lo and I have spent the morning chopping it up about the LSU Tigers and the College World Series, the Houston Astros, and we even touched on the NBA draft, which of course will be tonight, and what will the New Orleans Pelicans do or not do? But right now, it's time for us to talk about a great event that's coming up this weekend. It's a charity event. It's going to be held this Sunday at the Showbox, located at 2431 West Congress Street in Lafayette. It's the concert for Lee, a benefit performance for the Grammy Award-winning Louisiana bass player Lee Allen Zeno. You know him for his work from Buckwheat Zydeco and others. It's a great charity event to help out a man who has mentored so many musicians and done so much for the local community. Joining us now here in RP3 and Company to talk about the event is Mr. Lee Allen Zeno as well as Kelly Higginbotham. Good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for being here, Mr. Lee Allen. And before we dive into all the details about Sunday's fundraising event, I want to talk about your career. And I want to start off with when did you first fall in love with music? And when did you get the idea in your head, or maybe even in your soul, that you wanted to spend your life playing music, that you wanted to be a musician?
6: Well, my brother was a drummer. And my cousin, Harold Bruno, he was a bass player, keyboard player, and, and they were playing in the band, and that's that's what made me want to play. And that's back in the early 60s, 60, like 67. I was playing guitar and then started trying to play guitar, and then once I got to learn the guitar, uh, Harold taught me more so on the bass, and from there I went on and started playing bass. What made
2: you fall in love playing bass guitar?
6: Well, it was the just the feel of it and and... I knew it was the instrument that I wanted to do because of the, when, I, when I first grabbed it, it just locked into me, you know, and I just went on with it from there, you know, and then Harold said, well, man, I'm going to show you and then maybe you can come play a few gigs with me and your brother, you know, and that was exciting to me, you know, and I went for it from there. Did you ever
2: in your wildest dreams, Mr. Lee, think or allow yourself to believe that the kind of success that you guys would have with buckwheat Zydeco, that it would become as big as it did and still is.
6: No, never in my wildest dream. You know, I mean, when we started the uh, the Hitchhikers Band back in the seventies, and then when later the latter part of '79, Buck said, "Man, I'm starting a Zydeco band uh, called the El Sol Party." You know, I looked at Buck and said, "Well, man, how are you gonna go from accordion, from organ to accordion?" You know, <laughs> you know, and he did it. He did it because he played with Cliff Schenier for a few years, and I think that's where he adapted learning to play the accordion. You know,
2: you've had such a storied career, an award-winning musical career. You're revered by so many musicians and music fans alike. What's been the big highlight for you? What's one of the moments that you're maybe the most proud of of being a part of?
6: Well, the time from when we did the Eric Clapton tour and then we did uh, London, England, Royal Albert Hall. That was a real, real amazing thing for me, you know, and we did two weeks with uh, Eric Clapton there and Mark Knopfler was there and Phil Collins, Ringo Starr, you know, I mean, it was a whole bunch of guys there, you know, Nathan East, you know, I mean, it was amazing, and these guys were so down to earth, you wouldn't believe, you say, well, man, what this cat doing talking to me, you know, but they talked to us like they've been knowing us, you know.
2: We're talking with the famed bass player for the legendary group, Buckwheat Zydeco, Mr. Lee Alan Zeno. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Once again, we're here to talk about the event that's coming up this weekend, this Sunday. It's going to be at the Showbox. box there on 2431 West Conger Street in Lafayette, 1 to 7 p.m. The cost, $10.00 suggested entrance donation. That's what the folks are suggesting for the concert for Lee, a benefit performance for the Grammy award-winning bass player Lee Allen Zeno. Mr. Lee, I want to ask you about how we got to this point about the benefit concert. You had a couple of friends, a couple of musician friends in particular, uh, went to come to your house to essentially fix a small leak at your home to help you out. And they uncovered something that was far worse than a small leak. What can you tell us?
6: Well, we discovered that the foundation was sinking and uh, the whole structure of the house is is like uh, in bad shape, you know. So it was really more work than anticipated, you know. And that really got to me a little bit, you know. And I want to let everyone know that uh, I appreciate all what they're doing and all what they're about to do and that that, that won't go undiscussed, you know.
2: Let's bring in Mrs. Higginbotham now to the show to talk about the actual event that is designed to help raise the funds to help with the repairs needed for Mr. Lee's home. Mrs. Higginbotham, thank you so much for your time. Welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of putting on this show and why you thought this was the type of event that would work best for helping raise money for Mr. Lee Allen.
5: My husband is Raphael Higginbotham with Alligator Blue. He's the front man and he's real good friends with Mr. Lee Allen and Mr. Lee Allen has been sitting in pretty much with us for a good bit a good while now. Yeah. And um Brian Marceau, which is the original founder of Alligator Blue, has a construction company and he came assess. Mr. Lee Allen's home with us. And um, he is willing to donate his labor with his crew. And we are trying to raise the funds for the supplies to get Mr. Lee Allen's house in order.
2: Once again, the show, the concert for Lee is going to take place at the show box this Sunday from one to seven o'clock. The recommended entrance fee is only $10. What's the reaction been about putting on this event? How excited are people about it?
5: Um, once all this started coming about, you know, musicians kind of hang with musicians and they help out each other as the best as they can. Julian Primo, my husband Raphael got with Julian Primo to get the band lineup together. I can go ahead and tell you from... um. Oh, by, door-
2: yes, by all means, go ahead and give the band lineup.
5: The doors are open at 12, and at 1 o'clock we have Brandon, Degater, and the Mirror Playboys. From 140 to 210, we have Gary Granger, Trio, to 2.50, we have Sharona Thomas and Friends. 3 o'clock to 3.30, we have Zach Edwards and the Medicine. From 4.10, 3.40 to 4.10, we have Gino Vallecino, Trio. From 4.20 to 4.50, we have DG and the Freetown Sound. 5 to 5.30, we have Julian Primo. 5.40 to 6.10, we have Alligator Blue. And 6.15 to 7 o'clock, we have the All-Star Closing Jam, with a bunch of special guests, and Mr. Lee Allen will be playing with them also. And I'd like to give a big thanks to uh, Dave at Showbox for allowing us to have this uh, benefit there. Um, drinks and food will be purchased through Showbox, and we will have a silent auction and a 50-50 uh, raffle as well.
2: Once again, the event is the Concert for Lee a benefit performance for Grammy-winning Louisiana bass player Lee Allen Zeno from the legendary outfit Buckwheat Zydeco? It's going to take place this Sunday at the Showbox, 2431 West Conger Street in Lafayette. 1 to 7 o'clock, and the cost is a simple $10 donation when you enter through the doors. I want to thank both of you so much. And Mr. Lee, you've done so much for the community. You've done so much for other musicians, mentoring them over the years like you have. You've battled cancer. You're going to battle this, going to raise a ton of money this weekend. Going to get you back on your feet with your home, and I can't wait to see you back out there performing again, sir. Thank you so much for your
6: time. Well, thank you very much for the invite. Appreciate it.
0: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Bump, bump, bump. Bump, bump. So some interesting things happening in what I call the association. We have the draft tonight. We've talked about this earlier. Do not expect the New Orleans Pelicans to make a huge splash, a huge move. They're at 14. There's been rumors that they want to trade into the top three. I don't see that happening because they would have to give up one of their guys, either Zion or BI, to do it. And I know some of you have been banging the table, wanting them to trade Zion for two years now. Darren. Darren. It's not going to happen. I don't see it happening. I really don't. They are linked to both of these guys to be the foundation for what they want to do. I don't see them blowing this up. Not yet. Not yet. I could see them making maybe a minor move like trading Valachunas, getting rid of him, maybe taking the abundance of second-round picks they have for Milwaukee and L.A. that well, they're they're second-round picks for two teams that make deep playoff runs. I could see them maybe packaging something like that and moving on and getting a different player or maybe getting you know something from it. So I think it'll be a minor move. I don't think it'll be a major move. But we do have teams making major moves. After having a trade in place that didn't work, we get a blockbuster three-team trade yesterday. So the Grizzlies are acquiring Marcus Smart from the Boston Celtics. Christoph Porzingis is leaving Washington after what is arguably probably his best season as a pro. And he's going to Boston now. And then Tyus Jones also gets moved here. The Celtics, Wizards, and Grizzlies agreed to a three-team trade late Wednesday night that sends Porzingis to the Celtics, smart to the Grizzlies that's a great move by the Grizzlies by the way I don't really know what Boston's doing maybe they're trying to change their offensive identity we'll dive into this smart to the Grizzlies and then guard Tyus Jones to the Wizards as part of the deal Memphis is also sending Boston its first round pick in Thursday's draft which is the 25th overall selection and the Golden State Warriors top four protected first round pick in 2024 The Celtics are also sending the 35th pick in Thursday's draft to Washington. And the Celtics are also sending Gallinari and Muscala to Washington as part of the deal. The three-team deal came together in the minutes leading up to the midnight deadline for Porzingis to opt in to his $36 million player option. With the deal completed, Porzingis did opt in, sources have said. This comes a day after The Celtics and Wizards, the two teams first attempted to hammer out a three-team agreement with the Clippers that would have sent Malcolm Brogdon to L.A., the 30th pick in the draft and whatnot, but that deal fell apart. So what do we make of this deal? Not for Washington because obviously Bradley Beal is gone. He's headed to Phoenix. They're doing a full rebuild, right? They tried to bring in Porzingis, D'Lo, to pair him up with Bradley Beal to think they were going to be competitive. It didn't happen. So, Washington is in full-on rebuild mode from the ground floor, done. I understand why they're doing what they're doing, and they're getting guys that are veterans that are cheaper veterans that aren't going to count as much, and they're going to do a free rebuild. I get all that. What do we make of this deal for Boston and for Memphis? Um, for Memphis, I think it makes some sense.
3: If the idea that Dylan Brooks is gone forever um – well, it sure does feel that way. Yeah, then then Marcus Smart actually, you know, interestingly enough, kind of fits that mold of what Milwaukee's original kind of, you know, hard-nosed bad boy style is. You mean Memphis. I, you mean Memphis. Memphis, yes. yes. What did I say?
2: You said Milwaukee. Wow.
3: I don't even know how Milwaukee got into my mind. But anyway. You're
2: thinking about Chris Middleton becoming a free agent. Yeah, that's it. That's There's. it. Good, Good job.
3: Um, no, I think it, it actually makes some sense and kind of fits that original mold of what they were trying to build there, right? That kind of hard-nosed defensive with some with some swagger to it with some, you know, kind of attitude, but also not going full blown Dylan Brooks mode because I think that obviously, you know, kind of spiraled into nonsense. So I think if they're going to try and kind of maybe rebrand themselves a little bit here but not lose that kind of Memphis mentality, that tough mentality, then Marcus Smart can make some sense there. Porzingis to Boston. Oof. I mean, I get the the potential there. He had a great offensive season. Yeah, you mentioned it. His efficiency numbers, I mean, his field goal percentage was the best of his career. His three-point percentage was right there, only trailing his all-star season back in his third year in the league. Uh, He averaged over 23 a game. I mean, now look, he played on a bad team. He got a lot of opportunities, so sometimes that stuff can be a little inflated. Um, He's still not over 50% any individual season in his career from the field, and as a guy that's, you know, seven foot, you kind of liked his shooting percentage to be higher than that, but he provides some interesting offensive angles. I think his ability to be a complete player and everything involved in that, it's never quite turned into what we thought it might be at one point, right? But When he
2: was dubbed the unicorn of the NBA yeah, when he but was playing for the Knicks. Yes. I
3: think he does make – I mean, look, Boston is in a spot where if, you know, the Tatum and Brown thing, which it it, it seems like they're going to keep that together, they had to make a change elsewhere. They had to try and do something, so I don't fault them for it. For me, I don't fully
2: know if it's going to work. I don't perfectly, but... My thoughts are on this. It's a smart move by Memphis, right? Because you bring in a guy who's been in the league for now, he'll be entering his 10th season. This is a guy who's a tough-nose player. You talked about them getting back to that kind of lunch-pail mentality. It's a steady veteran presence as well on a team that could probably use a guy to take some of those younger guys that have been knuckleheads and put him under his wing, right? You bring in a guy that's going to command the locker room. He's going to step into Memphis's locker room, and you know what's going to happen? Everyone's going to listen to what he has to say. Because this is a guy that's been playing at a high level for a long time. He's one of the most versatile perimeter defenders in the NBA. He was the defensive player of the year just a few seasons ago. So you bring in someone who's tough, defensive-minded, versatile leader. Memphis needs all those things, right? So it makes a ton of sense if you're the Grizzlies and you're giving up what, a late first round? I'm like, eh, big deal. It, it, I find it to be a home run for them, for the Grizzlies. Boston is a little bit more intriguing to me because it you add Porzingis, it gives you a totally different feel to their offense. And it feels like the Celtics, we talked about it, they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals. They went to the finals the year before, but it doesn't feel like they've gotten over the hump with their group, right? This feels like a pivot to me of saying, okay, how can we retool the roster? Obviously, we love <clears throat> excuse me, Tatum and Brown, and they get some more first-round picks to help fill out the roster here, right? Boston wants to win NBA championship number 18. That's their ultimate goal. And it also gives them some flexibility here, right? Because you get Porzingis, that changes your offensive identity a little bit. Boston still has to figure out what to do with Brown, their all-star forward, five-year, $295 million contract extension. And does this give you now flexibility not to have to break the bank with keeping Grant Williams? He sure, does feel that way.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was trying to think through it too. What they, what their kind of lineup would be, how they'd want to do this, and I, I guess there's different options. I did want to mention Memphis does give up Tyus Jones here. He's a pretty decent role player for them, but I, you know, I think certainly Marcus Smart adds some more value there. So in addition to the pick, they do lose uh, Tyus Jones, who played in 80 games
2: last year, but and Tyus will be the starting point guard now in Washington.
3: Yeah, and he'll have, uh, you know, a, a tough year, I imagine. Well, not maybe yes. not for him statistically, but uh, certainly with the yes. wins and losses over there. But, you know, I can kind of see the vision here for Boston, but I'd have to kind of, you know, I, I think Marcus Smart, it was always interesting for him to be the third option at guard. I think he's probably happy with this deal, get a chance to kind of be, you know, more of the guy um, in Memphis. Now, I don't know how big of a role he's going to have offensively, and we'll see what happens with Ja and everything like that, but. I can see the vision here for Boston. I just need to know where the pieces, where the rest of the pieces are going to fit before I kind of make a decision about it.
2: Correct. And are they going to use the, their assets that they have with draft picks? Or are they going to use that to maybe get some other players? And are they done? You know, that's the other part because not only you have interesting guys. Chris Middleton declined his forty million dollar option with the Bucks. He's a free agent. Draymond Green declined his player in option. He's a free agent for the Golden State Warriors. Kyle Kuzma who played very well for Washington last year. He's going to be one of those intriguing free agents on the market as well. So is Boston going to be aggressive and go get other guys?
3: Yeah, I'm hoping I have a chance to turn down my $40 million option
2: at some <laughs> point. That'd be cool. It would be that would be very cool if you could figure out a way to turn down. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not interested in this $40 million. Um, I'm good. Um, uh, thanks, though. I'm going to let you just keep that. Yeah, I'd love to be able to be in that position. Oh man, we got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day, get to your latest comments, and close out hour number two. That's all coming up right here on the game.
0: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station
2: poll question of the day and i'm singing it to you on this thursday morning it's a foodie poll question of the week we didn't do it yesterday out of respect i know many of you were upset by it that the fact that the, the, the d to the low Opted not to go with the foodie poll question of the week yesterday. He did that out of respect because the big, bald, and beautiful one couldn't be here. And he knows how much I like talking about food. So that's just being respectful. That's being a good worker, good employee. Yeah. No, I mean, rumor has it some people
3: went back to bed over it. That was how upset they were. So that's what it is.
2: <laughs> we hashed you in honor of the men's college world series in Omaha. What is your favorite cut of steak? I do love steak. Did I have a steak while in Omaha? Yes. At a local steakhouse? Yes. Did I get the ribeye? Yes. Yes, I did. Right now, 66% of you say ribeye. 25% say filet. 7% say other. 2% say a T-bone. I do like a good T-bone, too. Salty Steve says, without a doubt, the tomahawk ribeye is king. If you ranked it among steaks, it is the SEC of steaks. Hashtag Go Tigers. And then he shared a picture of it, and it looks... Like I may not be able to do anything else the rest of the day. I may be distracted by that picture of steak. I may obsess about it for the rest of the day.
3: I actually had steak last night, kind of, but tried to mix steak with health. I had a tri-tip iceberg salad. How about that?
2: No. No? I, I mean as someone who is on the weight loss plan and trying to eat healthier yes i would take it but it wouldn't replace sitting down and just eating the delicious steak by itself yeah i mean maybe yes. fair
3: but it was a good it was a good salad
2: there we go todd says got to go with a filet but i do enjoy a good tomahawk on special occasions oh man delicious steak who doesn't love a good steak dilo i have concerns if someone says I don't like steak. Well, vegans, vegetarians, they're on the list. Um Well, they're already on my list anyway.
3: Well, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, that's not okay. Um, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But now there's a lot of there's a lot of non meat. <laughs> now I still I still haven't found a non, you know, which I mean I'm I'm not a vegan, but you know, um ones that have the texture of steak. You just can't really replicate that. But flavor, yeah, a lot of things can replicate the flavor that are even vegan or vegetarian.
2: There we go. There we go. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week leave your comments on facebook and twitter and just make sure you keep it clean for the kids two hours down and a jam-packed third hour is coming up and we'll kick off that third hour that features not one not two but three guests with East of christiancitysports.com that's coming up next right here on the game
0: whoa Everything, everything gonna be alright this morning Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette Here is producer Dawson Izerlowe And your big, bald, beautiful host Raymond Parts III Better known as RP3
2: Our number three of this tremendous Thursday edition of RP3 and Company has arrived. The final week of RP3 and Company, by the way. Tomorrow, we will say adieu to the RP3 and Company. Great run. Four plus years. New show debuts next week. Middays, 11 to 1. RP3, DLO, and Mesh. What? Three man weave going on starting next week. Middle of the day. I'll have to interrupt your lunchtime, D'Lo. You'll have to make the adjustment. Are you okay with this?
3: It's unfortunate. No, it is. Um, but I will get used to it. Yeah. I'll, I'll make a I'll probably just honestly, I'll probably just wait. Won't eat till later in the day. There you go. There you go.
2: I'm yeah. I'm I'm trying to help you map
3: out your life, bud.
2: Yeah, no, just thinking
3: You're about welcome. it now. Now's maybe not the time to brainstorm about it, but <laughs>
2: It may it may not be it may not be the appropriate time yes yeah. that's that's a possibility uh, don't forget to go vote on our poll question of the day it's our foodie poll question of the week a day later because yours truly did not get back from Omaha in time to do the show yesterday so toss it out of respect kept the foodie question for today. In honor of the Men's College World Series in Omaha, what's your favorite cut of steak? Right now, 66% of you say ribeye, 25% say filet, 7% say other, and 2% say T-bone. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to talk the New Orleans Pelicans and tonight's NBA draft. Lots of rumor, lots of nonsense out there about the Pelicans going to do this or the Pelicans are going to do that. What will the Pelicans do? To give us more insight into that, is a man who covers them for ChristmasCitySports.com. Our good friend Les East joins us now. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend?
4: I'm doing well,
2: Raymond. How are you? I'm doing great, bud. Doing great. So let's dive right in. Lots of talk about New Orleans flirting with trading up, maybe trading BI to Charlotte to be able to get up in the draft, or trading Zion to Portland, to get up in the draft as well, so they can go and draft their guy, so to speak. What's the likelihood that you see that happening? As we are now hours away from the NBA draft.
4: Well, there are a lot of uh, possibilities, as you mentioned, and, uh, and you know, trading down from 14 would also be a possibility. I think they, uh, they they've had some discussions. Uh, they're probably going to have more discussions. The draft doesn't start till 7 o'clock our time, and they're at the 14th pick right now, and there's plenty of time for a lot more talk to happen. But I think the most likely thing uh, is that they will wind up with the 14th pick, and they will utilize that pick. But, uh, you know, everything is on the table, and uh, if somebody makes the right offer – you know, they could make a move, but I, I still think the, the idea that they're going to move Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram uh, I think is unlikely to happen. You know, it came – obviously, Scoot Henderson is the guy they've targeted. Uh, you know, it came out yesterday. There was a report that Charlotte had settled on Brandon Miller, which would mean that – um Henderson would slip to number three, which is Portland. And then shortly thereafter, the Hornets came out and said that, well, we've narrowed it down to two people, obviously trying to keep alive the possibility that someone would knock their socks off with a, a trade at number two to get Henderson. So that they're trying to. Uh, dispel that report to keep alive some more intrigue. So you're going to have that all the way up until the draft starts and and beyond that, but I I still think at the end of the day they're most likely to be sitting there at 14 and utilize that pick.
2: So if they don't move B.I. or Zion to trade up in the draft to get one of those guys in the top three, could we see them trade Valachunas and maybe – their 14th pick to move up a little bit to get another player or do you think they could simply just trade Valanchunas for future picks just to to ship him away and go in a different direction
4: yeah I think both of those are possible I think they could also uh, move Valanchunas and trade down if somebody had if they have a partner that's identified a player that they can get at 14 that they couldn't get farther down in the draft so I think all of that is in the mix. I think uh, that's probably more likely to occur uh, than either of the other trades just because it's so hard to make a trade for a a superstar like Zion Williamson or uh, a player nearly as good in Brandon Ingram and and get good value. Those things don't happen easily. It doesn't mean it won't happen, but it's a lot easier – to find a deal uh, that's not of that magnitude where both sides can feel satisfied with what they're giving up and what they're getting and be able to put together the pieces to make the trade happen. That's why I think uh, a smaller trade is more likely to happen. And, you know, the the Pelicans are looking at their roster and they have a lot of really good pieces, but they also – uh, need to work on the puzzle and make sure all the pieces fit together better than they have. And uh, that's why I think moving uh is more likely to happen. Uh, though, again, that might not happen either. There, there might not be any trade at all.
3: Well, Les, you know, overall with the outlook of this team, because we've done a lot of talking about where they were in December and where they ended up, do you think some of the off the court and, and kind of maybe the lack of the concern with Zion's desire to be great, do you think that's playing into these rumors at all? Because you have to imagine if he had played the rest of the year, then you wouldn't even be talking about trading a guy like that or Brandon Ingram.
4: Right, you wouldn't. And, and the, the same thing will be true going forward. If he's able to stay healthy, and even if he plays 60 games next year, Uh, which for him would be monumental, but even though it's not a tremendous number of games uh, for the average player, if he plays 60 games and plays the way he's been playing when he's been healthy, nobody cares about anything else. Uh, That's all that matters. So, you know, all this noise that's out there is a distraction, and and it fills up a news void this time of year. But in the end, it's all about... uh, him being available to play basketball. And we know he's an all-star player when he does play. So had he been able to stay healthy, they would have been well positioned in the playoffs, might've won a series or even two in the postseason, And we wouldn't be having any of these conversations, but that's not what happened. And there's a lot of uncertainty about him, about his ability to stay healthy, about his commitment, about his maturity level. And so, uh the the pelicans apparently are at least entertaining offers for him and uh that's why so many possibilities are out there right now because he has not been healthy and he has not demonstrated the the level of maturity uh to this point that they would like to have seen remember he turns 23 next month so he he still has some time to get the get some stuff figured out
3: when it comes to the draft and the, and the 14th pick, if that's where they choose to stay, and you can be as specific as you want or as vague as you want here, but what type of player do you think the Pelicans are targeting in that area, assuming maybe they move up or down a couple of picks, but not drastically changing their position?
4: Yeah, they, more than likely it's going to be a wing player who can shoot the threes. And I've seen, you look at the mock drafts, I've, I've seen close to 10 names Uh, in different mock drafts. That's how fluid it is, even at 14. Imagine what it would be like at the bottom of the first round. So there are all kinds of candidates for that pick, but most likely I think it would be a wing player, a a two or a three, someone who can play both, a combo guard, but someone who's proven – already that they can shoot the three-pointer with consistency. The other possibility, and this would certainly become uh, the most likely thing if they were to move Valanchunas, and that would be a center. Uh, we, we don't think they're going to um, re-sign Jackson Hayes so their depth is going to take a hit there. And if they move Valanchunas and all of a sudden you, all you have is Larry Nance, he's an undersized backup, though it's certainly a capable player. Uh so center would be the other thing on on the radar, uh, especially if they move Valentunas. I've seen the, the, the seven two player from Duke uh in some mock drafts, he would be a possibility if, if he slips past Dallas, who I believe picks at eleven. So uh those are the two things, uh a wing who can shoot the three or a center. We're
2: talking with Les Cease of CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we look ahead to tonight's NBA draft. So you don't feel like they're going to be uh, a team that's going to move up dramatically and make a big splash tonight, and they have so many different options at 14. Does that is that why you kind of have thought of the idea of them possibly trading back?
4: Well, uh, I just think it's uh, just another option. I, I think everything's on the table for them. I mean, when we talk about the possibility of moving Zion Williamson, that that's a generational talent that they might be giving up before his twenty, giving up on before his twenty third birthday. So, you know, if they're willing to consider that, they're willing to consider anything. And uh, yeah, at fourteen, they may not get. A difference maker. They can get a nice player there, but they might be able to get a nice player at 16, 17, 18, 19. And if the other pieces to the trade are attractive, then certainly trading out of that spot becomes a possibility. So yeah, the the uncertainty of exactly what they can get at 14 brings the possibility of trading down into the equation. And I think they may be looking at this roster as young as it is for the most part and be saying, you know, we don't really need uh, another 19, 20-year-old guy as much as we need a veteran who can add to the equation that we have right now. So we'll, we'll get less of an impact player with our number one pick because of a veteran asset we can acquire by trading down.
2: You mentioned Zion's a generational talent, and I don't disagree with that. But he hasn't been healthy enough to play. So, obviously, I believe that Griff is not going to trade him. All right, I've said that over and over again. But what if the Pelicans are in a a similar situation heading into next year's offseason, next year's draft less, where Zion missed a bunch of games, and they were just a play-in tournament team, that didn't make a run in the playoffs. Would it be time then, in your humble opinion, to move on?
4: Well, I think it's much more likely that a move would happen a year from now than that it will happen tonight or in the you know very near future. You know, I just think again, yeah, it's been four years and injuries have been recurring constantly, but again he's he's extremely young he's extremely talented the the ceiling is so high and the evidence is there that if he can stay healthy he is a generational talent and so i think giving up on him at this point uh is just a huge risk it's a risk counting on him to be healthy but it's a huge risk also to give up on a guy who might wind up being a 15-time All-NBA player. So, uh, yeah, you got to be reluctant to make that move at this point. But I do think as he enters his fifth season, you have to look at this as a as a crossroads and say, okay, he is going to get serious. He's going to be mature, and he's going to do everything in his power to stay healthy. And I'm not saying he hasn't tried very hard to be healthy in the past. But it's kind of, you know, be the player we expect you to be and be available for most of the year now, or we're going to have to look at moving on next year. But I think it really makes sense for them to give this another year.
2: Les, it always makes sense to have you on the show, my friend. I'm hopeful that you'll be joining us in our new time slot on the new show starting next week as well, my friend. Thank you for everything that you've done over the years for coming on the show, and I hope you have a tremendous weekend, brother.
4: Thanks,
0: guys. This is RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets.
2: But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet that netted me a cool
0: $6.70.
6: What?
0: Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports
4: stock. 19, hit me. 20, hit me.
0: 21, hit me. 22. Don't! Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: The College World Series rolls on from Omaha, and we have another matchup tonight between the LSU Tigers and the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. As last night, LSU, who was in the must win situation, got the job done with a five to two victory, largely in part due to a Cade Beloso three run home run. And to get a little bit more perspective on where Wake Forest is after that loss, where they are going to be pitching wise heading into tonight, and to just talk about the college world series in general, we have Les Johns who covers Wake Forest for two four seven sports. Good morning, Les. How are you?
7: Good uh Thursday morning, guys. How's it going?
3: It's going well, and, you know, last night's game was fascinating for a variety of reasons. Um, this LSU team who, you know, we cover probably a little closer than you do, has had its pitching issues all year long outside of Paul Skeen's. Plenty of doubts, um, and, you know, a lot of people who didn't even think they had enough to get this far, and yet it's the pitching that's gotten them through Omaha. Um, what were what was your reaction last night to just Wake Forest offensive struggles?
7: I mean, I think you nailed it, I mean, just based upon the what I've heard from LSU folks—I mean, talking to a lot of guys, that, a lot of people that covered the Tigers in the press box over the last couple days—there was a lot of skepticism that they'd still be playing on Thursday. You know, they, you know—there was a lot of doubt that they had the pitching depth to get these last two wins over Tennessee and Wake Forest and, and get to this—you know—decisive game. You know, tonight at you know 6 p.m. Central, um, the Deeks are struggling offensively. It's kind of uh, puzzling. You know, we know, it's a, we know it's a pitcher's ballpark. We know the wind's blowing in. Uh, but they're just really not making good contact, you know. And it, it really kind of starts and finishes with the guys in the middle of that lineup. Uh, Nick Kurtz, Brock Wilkin, and Justin Johnson, the three guys in the middle of the order, the 3-4-5, the heart of the order, are combined two for 30 in the College World Series with 15 strikeouts. Two for thirty with fifteen strikeouts. They've got two hits. You know, so uh, when when the middle of the order isn't you know producing, it's hard to put runs on the board. It's the lowest scoring three game group of games uh, all year for the Deeks. You know they had a they had a stretch of uh, three games in which they only scored nine runs earlier in the season, which which wrapped up with a shutout at Pittsburgh where they lost three to nothing. But but the good news, if you're a Wake Forest fan, uh, after those three games, they scored 40 runs in the next two games against Pittsburgh on the road. So one has to wonder if an explosion is on the way. But uh, when you're potentially facing Paul Skeens to start tonight, that uh, makes you wonder if that's possible. Well,
3: I, I did want to ask one more about the offense, because I had kind of had this thought, and I know the ballpark is a factor But it's not like Kurtz and Wilkin and those guys have been hitting deep fly balls to center field that you go, well, that would have been gone in Winston-Salem. They're not even really making contact. So do you think it's maybe mental as well, kind of that thought process of, here we go, we're in a bigger ballpark, I need to change my approach, and that's hurting them? Or is it just, you know, a slump at the wrong time of the season?
7: Yes. (laughs) All the above is what I'd go with. Yeah, it's got to be mental at this point because you're right. There has been a handful of balls collectively by the the group of, uh, you know, players one through nine that they've gotten under that hasn't necessarily gone to like, you know, the warning track or even, you know, mid outfield, but there's been a handful of like pop-ups, you know, Uh, they've gotten under some balls just generally speaking, but for the most part, they're just not making contact. They're swinging and missing or sometimes just keeping the, 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 the bat on their shoulders um so they've, they've got to make contact they've got to make hard contact they've, they've got to strike the ball and they've got to got to hit some liners and grounders and get some runners moving get some things working but uh yeah i would agree it's a, it's a combination of mental at this point and and the combination of lsu pitchers just do some good work you know uh so uh they've they've had uh great performances at the right time and you know, Coach Johnson has has made the right moves as well. You know, kept a kept a uh, you know made the right moves to to get a fresh pitcher in there and, and keep the deep balance with a different look.
3: So that leads us to tonight's matchup. I think everybody is kind of excited about the potential to see Rhett Louder against Paul Skeens, but both coaches, maybe with a little gamesmanship involved, wouldn't quite admit as much. Um, even though you know there's some talks where each coach is kind of saying they expect the other to throw the the ace, or, or you know maybe not saying it in as many words, but a lot of gamesmanship going on. At the end of the day, do you think we see the two aces tonight?
7: You know, I was skeptical of this early in the day yesterday. You know, and my Twitter feed probably indicated that, and I I guess I've been shown to be a fool. But um, you know, uh, you know, at at, at eight thirty in the morning, you know, Thursday morning. If I had to wager I'd say we get Paul Skeens versus Rhett Louder. I think that all signs based upon uh, how the game played out yesterday, you know, the magnitude of the game and and when you throw in what, what the coaches had to say, I asked Tom Walter in the postgame last night, you know, what his plan was for today and if Rhett Louder was on the board. And he told us that, you know, he was gonna talk with Fred and if Fred had any say in it, you know, he'd be on the board, but they'd have to see how he is physically it basically sounded like a yes, you know, uh, you know. And if that happens, you know, Wake Forest is 18 and 0 in games in which Rhett Louder has started this season. The last time that they lost a game, when he was on the mound as a starter, was in regional play last season, um, in the in the College Station regional. So they're 18 and 0 when he starts. He's a, he's a 15 and 0 personally um so you gotta like the Deeks' chances they haven't taken a loss when he's been on the mound yet this season wake has never lost a three-game series this season and wake has never lost back to back games this season so for lsu to to come away with the win they're going to have to snap like three pretty mighty streaks
2: we're talking with les johns of 247 sports he covers the demon deacons he joins us here on rp3 and company les You mentioned the pitching matchup. I was fortunate enough to be in Omaha for the first two games of the College World Series there, and I got to see that heavyweight bout on Monday night, and it felt like the game of the year to me. It felt like the two best teams in the country duking it out, and they battled again last night in a game that was sloppy at times by both teams, but LSU gets the win and forces this other game. Do you expect it? tonight's game to be more like monday's game where it was more of a kind of just an epic heavyweight fight between the two teams
7: i mean i really do i mean i think we're going to get schemes versus louder i think we're going to get the college game of the year you know and it's going to come down to a single player too you know it's going to come down to a clutch hit you know yesterday wake forest was two for 19 with runners on base you know, if they if they make that you know three for 19, then all of a sudden maybe this is a different game, right? So, um, yeah, I think we're going to get I think we're going to get the college game of the year. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be an electric environment. It's been it's been sold out packed crowds for both these two games between these two teams, and uh, college baseball fans should should have a lot of fun tonight. Well, Wake Forest and LSU fans might be pretty darn nervous for three hours, but I think college baseball will will, will have a good time.
2: You mentioned that it's going to be a pitching matchup, and we possibly have the two best pitchers in the entire country facing off tonight, and we have two great lineups. For you, as a man who covers the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, what do you think is going to be the key in tonight's game when you have two so evenly matched teams that have already split the two other games that they've, they've played here in Omaha? What do you think is going to be the ultimate key to a win for either team tonight at the College World Series?
5: Oh
7: wow, it's tough to say that one. I, I think for Wake Forest, the key will be to to, to get Paul Skeens to, to throw a few pitches early and get his pitch count elevated, and hope you know hope to get him knocked out. You know, I mean, through I think 123 pitches you know on Saturday, but to, to to maybe get him out after like five, and then and then and then finally get to the LSU bullpen the way that you felt that you'd be able to. You know, all you know this, the the first two games for LSU. The key is is probably um, you know to to attack Rhett louder. You know, right? Uh, Rhett's gonna Rhett's gonna throw a lot of first first pitch strikes. You know, to attack him early in the count uh, to make Wake feel uncomfortable and and to make them start you know second guessing themselves. Wake Force has been a really confident team this entire season. They've had a lot of fun. Uh, all of a sudden, it's their first elimination game in, in the NCAA tournament. You know they kind of hadn't felt that pressure the way LSU has for the last two days. So, uh, how will they respond to the pressure of if you lose, your season's over, and you're no, no longer playing baseball with the, with your best friends and with your brothers? So, uh, this will be the first time Wake's had to had to face that pressure. And if they get behind early, uh, it could be a rough night for them.
2: All right, I'll get you out of here with this quickly, Les. What's going to happen tonight? What's your prediction?
7: Oh, i say Nick Kurtz and, and uh, Brock Wilkin and maybe even Justin Johnson actually get a key hit, and the Deeks win, like, 4-3. to three. Yeah, uh, I, you know, it, it, it could go either way, guys. I mean, yeah, I mean, I cover Wake Forest. I've, I've been live in person for probably 50 of their 64 games. You know, it's a, it's a staff and a, and a team which I've gotten to know these players pretty darn well. I've covered the program for, for nearly a decade. But, uh, you know, I think that they're going to come through. But, you know, heck, it's college baseball. and It's, it's, it's going to be a heck of a game. And everybody just buckle up and be ready.
2: Les, appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Enjoy tonight's game. It should be another classic. And thank you for your time. and And, and be safe in your travels back home.
7: Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care.
2: Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company as we get closer and closer to wrapping up this show in this time slot, right? We only got one more day of the RP3 and Company. And let me tell you, uh, my wife, Tina, and my daughter, Hattie, are very excited about being able to see me in the mornings. (laughs) Because for the last four plus years, it's been early, early in the morning. Daddy leaves while they still sleep. And I don't see them until the afternoon. So uh, yesterday when I got back from Omaha late and let Dawson fill in, uh, they were very happy to be able to see me in the morning and have breakfast together. So, But it will be an end of an era, so to speak, and we'll have our goodbyes and all that good jazz on tomorrow's show. we got some special guests lined up to be able to do that. But right now we have a special guest inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. American Legion Post 278. The man from that local post, American Legion, Patrick Revitt is here joining us to talk about the benefits about joining the American Legion, who is eligible to join, and just how great an organization it is. Patrick, good morning, brother. Thank you for being here. How are
1: you? Thank you, Raymond. I'm glad to be here.
2: Let's, uh, let's start off with, I've obviously known about the American Legion through American Legion baseball and other types of organizations. I've also known about them because my father-in-law, Robert uh, Guidro has long been a member of American Legion. He is a former uh, veteran himself, and he talks about just how great it is. And we've been to some events that he's helped volunteer to put on car shows and things of that nature, uh, plate, lunch, plate lunches and things yes. of that nature. Just for those that may not know that don't have the familiarity uh, with the American Legion and don't know exactly what they are about, please inform us.
1: Okay, uh, American Legion was formed in uh, 1919. It was like right after World War I, and uh, it became a little bit popular. But then after World War II, we had a a mega influence of veterans, and uh, we had posters popping up all over Acadiana, a lot of members, uh, so that's when you had a lot of popular baseball programs or topical yep. contests. Uh, they had family days for all these veterans. And uh, so as we started losing a lot of our World War II veterans, so now we started getting a lot of uh, Korean and Vietnam veterans, and I'm a Desert Storm veteran, and you got the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. But <clears throat> within the last three years, American League has changed it to where as long as you served at least one day of active military duty since December 7, 1941, and if you were honorably discharged from the military, you can join the American Legion. Or if you're in active duty right now. I have a son that's active duty right now in California. He's a member of the American Legion, and uh, you're eligible to join any American Legion post out there.
2: You know, I, I know also one of the things that is, makes American Legion so special and so unique and so needed is – You know, I had two grandfathers that served in World War II. My brother uh, served in the Army for 10 years, uh, did tours in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And what the American Legion can do for a lot of guys, because so many times when you come back from combat or you come back from doing tours, it's hard to sometimes relate to others. And it's hard to be able to just kind of express yourself and talk to other people. You kind of hold yourself off because of the things that you saw and and being involved in combat. Talk a little bit about that kind of brotherhood that comes from being part of an American Legion and being there with other guys that have been through the stuff that you've been through. Yeah, Uh,
1: I did a a Veterans Day speech at Cecilia High School, and I tried to talk to these young kids and say, there's only probably less than 1% of the population in the United States that's going to go into the military. And uh, I served four years, and then whenever I got out, you know, there's all this lingo and acronyms, and, and of course, a lot of veterans know uh, hurry up and wait. I mean, that's a phrase. Uh, that's And then chow hall, going to the head, you know. So you know all these things. So whenever I got out and you come back and you see, like we call them normal civilians, you can't hardly relate the lingo. And these guys that I spent with, I mean, that was uh, 24-7, seven days a week. I mean, these guys were brothers, you know. I knew more about their families than some of my own, you know, or what was going on. So whenever I got out, it took me a while before I got introduced into the American Legion, started meeting these guys. Hey, okay, you was in the Army. Hey, what you did, the MOS. You know, we talk about what jobs you did. So we start relating with that, and we say, hey, where you've been? And then, hey, yeah, I went to the Philippines. Oh, yeah, I was there too. And they, So you just start talking about it, and you say, yeah, and you say some of their experiences, some of their stories. Uh, guys that I've been with, uh, I mean, I can remember a story that happened 35 years ago like it happened yesterday. And so when you get together with these veterans, they remember these stories that they hadn't thought about in in years and years because in the civilian life. And then when they start talking to another veteran, they, it all, all comes back to them. And it's just a good camaraderie, uh, just meeting, you know, talking about our stories. Also, these younger veterans now, you could find – Job opportunities you could get knowledge. Hey, I'm having problems with electricity or a auto mechanic these veterans are gonna say hey look This is the guy I go to this guy's gonna help him out. You tell him I sent you uh, and if you're looking for any kind of job opportunities, I mean, they got guys that that want to hire veterans that, that are looking for veterans for what they representative their discipline and uh, it, it, It's I've never met a veteran that regretted joining being in the military
2: Let's talk a little bit about, I've noticed this as well, and I've seen it really particularly the last year or so, uh, lots of advertising for the American Legion. i am seeing a lot of billboards, in particular on the 49-10 exchange. Yes. Uh, uh, and when you travel 10 and 49 both ways, I saw them uh, throughout my trip to Omaha. Mm-hmm. Uh, the push to, to get the word out, why is that going on right now? Why do you guys feel like it, there's a need to be able to do that Uh, especially with American Legion being so well-known in the military community with military families and veterans, yet it feels like maybe some people don't know about it.
1: Yeah, um, as far as, yeah, I already went over who's eligible to join. Uh, Also, if you're, I forgot to mention about the auxiliary, the auxiliary unit, if your uh, grandfather uh, was a part of military service and, again, honorably discharged, you could join the auxiliary. And all these posts have... Uh, Regular members, and have auxiliary units with them also. But also what the American League does for veterans, uh, VA benefits assistance. So if you have a claim that you got hurt or something in the military, you could go through the VA, and they'll help you uh, make a claim and try and get some benefits. You know, Agent Orange, that was a really uh, bad thing during Vietnam. So a lot of these veterans are suffering from uh, COPD. They're suffering from uh, cancer. So they'll help you get a claim. Also, the veterans, uh, the VA, uh, American Legion is the biggest voice in Congress as far as veterans benefits. So they go every year. They have the VA budget. We're going to be pushing to try and get the maximum amount of benefits for our veterans. Also, health care for our veterans. Uh, they have uh, Pineville. They also have a new local unit on Ambassador Caffrey that they have, a little right. small unit. That's where I go at. Over uh, there by Sam's Club. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the new one. Uh, so that, that's a good little place to do you could get your health care through that uh and they also they they advocate for our, our veterans that are, are our serving veterans our active duty personnel as far as pay uh well-being equipment that they need uh also if you join you get your magazine it gives you updates on what's happening in congress uh what's happening with your local uh, elected officials what's going to affect veterans and also you get stories of inspiring veterans that have overcome the odds and and those that uh, Established programs throughout their community uh, and then support, you know, during the uh, hurricanes, especially around here in Louisiana, uh, hurricane relief. They'll come out there and they'll help you out. And then uh, also um, financial hardships. We'll be able to help you out with that.
2: We got to wrap it up, Patrick, but I'd be remiss not to have you tell the folks where can they go get more information about joining a local American Legion post. Obviously, you're affiliated with American Legion post 278, but for all of those people listening from Blobdell all the way to the Texas state line, because that's where we broadcast from, where can they go get more information about joining a local American Legion post?
1: Okay, all you got to do is just go on the internet, Google it, type in American Legion. It's going to take you to a site called legion.org. Legion.org is going to explain to you everything that I've talked about with American Legion. And then you'll it have a little... Tab up there that says "Find a Post." You put in your address, put in the zip code, and they'll list you all the posts. And they'll have you a contact number. They'll tell you uh, what, when they meet. Normally, you meet once a month. And um, our meetings, we have a supper. I'm in Leonville, and we have a supper. And uh, there's all little local programs that we try to do also. But every every post is different. Uh, try and find somebody there, and I guarantee you, you go to those posts. Those people will help you out. And we'll take care of our veterans,
2: Patrick appreciate you coming on sharing the time here about joining the american legion thank you for your service to our country thank you for your son and his service thank, and you. thank you for everything that you're doing brother
1: i appreciate it
0: thank you ram this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy.
2: I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy.
0: Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero, as his long highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head. Actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Sports Sports Station.
2: Station. Oh, man, we had some great guests today, didn't we? Great guests. Everyone came and delivered. We had talked some great sports. We also talked about some great events in local organizations. want to take a moment to thank our guest, Lee Allenzino, the famed Zydeco musician, for that fundraiser that they're going to be having this weekend in Lafayette. I also want to thank Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. want to thank Les Johns, Demon Deacon Digest reporter, talking College World Series. First time ever we've had back-to-back Leses on the show, and first time ever that we had two lessons on the same show. Shout out to you, D'Lo, for making that happen.
3: Yep, that was a goal of mine when I started. I'm glad to check that off the box.
2: (laughs) It was a goal of his. And also a special thanks to uh, Patrick Grievit for coming on from American Legion Post 278 about the benefits of joining the American Legion and what they do for the community. So great lineup of guests. want to thank them once again for coming on. We did have a poll question of the day foodie poll question of the week but before we get to that i want to get to some comments for you dawson you ready we got a couple minutes here you ready these are these are for you bud this is from Hart. while i'm glad we got the win last night and get a second chance this evening to close out wait can we agree lsu needs some serious work on that bunting this offseason or just not do it at all (laughs) we had really hadn't dove into the 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 once again if you don't practice it Uh, likelihood of it working not great but this one is really for you this college world series has been great so far says b-rad we found a balance between home run friendly and pitcher friendly with the flat seam ball and the juicier bats i want to see runs but i don't want to see eight home runs and 18 to 13 scores every game go tigers
3: i'm in agreement with b-rad i like i like where the game's at in the
2: world series i agree i have no problem with Team's not scoring more than six runs. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I like baseball. That's why. (laughs) Our foodie poll question of the week, though. It's on Thursday this week. In honor of the Men's College World Series being in Omaha, what's your favorite cut of steak? 63% of you say ribeye. 25% say filet. 11% say other 1% of you voted for the T-bone. Plenty of great comments that you guys made sure to leave on Facebook and Twitter. Ton says, okay, so I'm weird. I really enjoy a good sirloin, medium rare. I also prefer to process my own beef, but rarely, no pun intended, get to do so. Moving along. But that bad boy with a stuffed potato and some grilled veggies, and I'm in heaven. Do you approve of Ton? There was a lot there. Um, <laughs> it's a lot to unpack my Ton. It's yeah, usually the case. It's usually the case. But thank you to all who commented and voted on the poll question of the day final rp3 and company ever it's tomorrow I'm gonna wrap up the week strong got some special things lined up for you i'm not gonna tell you but maybe some previous stars of this show will be making appearances tomorrow just saying and yes we will allow dawson to still be part of the final show that's gonna do it for us today coming up next Kevin Foote in footnotes, which should be a glorious Thursday morning. Once again, thank you, Houston Astros, for taking down the Mets two out of three games. I greatly appreciate you. That's all coming up next right here on The Game.